when I first came up, I think I heard a lot of people saying that they were worried about ticks coming into Alaska because we were becoming, with climate change, our winters were becoming more mild. Um, and there was worry that these ticks that we'd never seen before, if they came into the state, they would be able to overwinter. And so while that's a super interesting question, like, of course, we want to know how things are going to change in the future. We can't do that unless we know where we are today. Welcome to VETCAST, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University focused on the impacts of climate change on animal health. Hi, I'm Kate Bedour from the UAF CSU 2 plus 2 Veterinary Medicine Program up here in Fairbanks, Alaska. And I'm Melissa Clark from the same program, and welcome to this week's episode. If you've listened to the previous podcast, you know that this is a CSU collaborative podcast explaining emerging issues in animal health. And you might be wondering why we are up here in Alaska. Well, let me tell you. Our program was founded in 2015 with the intent of retaining veterinarians in the state of Alaska. With as big of a state as we have, the demand for veterinarians is extremely high, and more veterinarians were retiring than new graduates coming in. This program has been so successful so far. From the 19 graduates in the past two years, 10 have come back to Alaska to practice. Yes, and I love this program. It's so small, and we are able to really get close to our classmates and support each other. Our professors really get to know us one-on-one, and having a smaller class size really opens up more opportunities to get hands-on experience. And plus, we really just love Alaska. And don't forget the reindeer, muskox, and sled dogs. (laughs) Well, speaking of Alaska, there are numerous environmental impacts that are linked to climate change. And while there are so many issues, we want to dive deeper into one specific issue. And that's ticks in Alaska. Wait, Kay, I didn't think Alaska even had ticks. Yes, and we will soon be learning the emergence of ticks in Alaska from our interviewees. Uh, Today, we will be interviewing three highly qualified tick specialists, starting with Dr. Mega Han. Dr. Han recently published an article summarizing tick collection records in Alaska from 1909 to 2019. Let's hear from her. So my name is Micah Hahn. I'm an assistant professor of environmental health at the Institute for Circumpolar Health Studies, which is at the University of Alaska in Anchorage. And um, by Alaskan standards, I'm still pretty new here. This is my fourth year in Alaska, um, but we love it up here and hope to be up here for a long time. And um, you asked sort of how I got into some of this work. So briefly, I'll just say that Before I came to Alaska, I was living in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I was working at the Centers for Disease Control, Dr. DeWarren Disease Branch there. And I was looking at how climate was affecting where we find ticks in the lower 48. Um, So I I was creating models to sort of predict where we would expect to find ticks um, based on where we found them in the past. And when I was making those models, we didn't actually even include Alaska. We only had the lower 48 states um, because we didn't have any tick records from the state. And so when I moved here, I thought that would be the end of my tick research career. Um, But I pretty quickly 
got in touch with uh, the, the state veterinarian and the veterinarian who is the wildlife vet for fishing game and learned about some cool tick stuff they had been doing um, in Alaska. And so that was sort of the seed of our project. I know you just published in September. Can you kind of talk through your research and you know what your findings were in that paper? Sure, yeah. The basis of our first project was to set up um, an ongoing surveillance program so that we had sort of a baseline for which tick species we have in the state and where we found them so that we can monitor change over time. Um, and so our effort over the first two years, and you mentioned you're gonna talk with Dr. Gerlach, who's the state vet, and then with Kimberly Beckman, who's the wildlife vet for Fish and Game, um, was to create the Alaska Submitted Tick Program. And it's basically um, a program where anyone in the state, so it could be a veterinarian or a biologist or just a, someone in the public, if they find a tick on themselves or on their pet or in the environment, they can turn it into the state and we'll make sure that it gets ID'd um, and then we'll add it to our tick database so that we can sort of create this ongoing and growing um, information hub about, about ticks. Um, so in addition to developing the submitted tick program, um, we also went back um, and looked at all of the historical records that we could find of ticks in the state and assessed, you know, every, basically every record that we could find to see what's, what's been found in the state and where. And so the paper that you mentioned in September is sort of the summary of, of our findings. That's so interesting. Um, and Part of your paper also talks about the native versus non-native ticks. Could you elaborate more on that? Sure, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because it's actually a really interesting, um, an interesting topic. So, okay, first of all, I wanna say that um, when you're talking about native versus non-native species, it's a really hard, um, it's a really hard distinction to make in a lot of cases because there isn't really a hard and fast definition for what constitutes you know, a native versus a, a non-native um, species, whether that's a plant or a tick or a, or a new mammal or a new lizard, you know. Um, and so when we talk about native ticks in Alaska, we're talking about ticks where we have historical records for these guys back several, several decades. So basically they have been found here historically. So sometimes I refer to them as native, sometimes I, find, I refer to them as ticks that have historically been found in Alaska. So that's, that's sort of one group of ticks. The other group of ticks that we're really interested in are decidedly non-native. So these are ticks that before, you know, the last decade, they never been found in the state. Um, they are endemic in other states in the lower 48, um, but they're, they're just, they're newly found in Alaska. And the reason that we're really interested in those ticks in particular is because most of them are known vectors of tick-borne diseases. So basically, there are many pathogens that are transmitted by the bite of a tick and um, different pathogens basically match up with different species of ticks. And many of those new species that we're finding in the state are, are responsible for transmitting pathogens um, in California and the Western US and the Eastern US, um, but have not so far um, been shown to transmit any pathogens up in Alaska. So I do have, a little question that's not really on our list, but yeah. so 
we kind of want to know your view on the emergence of ticks up here and the just view of like climate change on the tick emergence. And then I also just want to add sort of put in there. So I know a lot of these ticks that you might be seeing are usually vectors of tick-borne diseases that we do see in our pets. And do you feel like they could infect the wildlife up here in Alaska? Hmm. Yeah, those are such good questions. Okay, so the first was maybe the the potential for emergence maybe would be for ticks up here. Um, I guess the way I usually talk about this is the, fir the first step is that ticks have to get imported. So that's basically what we've shown now. We know that ticks are coming, non-native ticks are coming into the state on people and pets that are traveling to the lower 48 and then coming back to Alaska. So we know they're coming. Um, we get various life stages of ticks that are turned in. Sometimes we get adults, sometimes we get larvae, sometimes we get nymphs. Um, but in order to uh, consider a tick established in the state, so meaning that it's reproducing and actually has sort of a local population, CDC has a definition for at least the, the black-legged tick where they, at the county level, they need to find either two or more life stages. So you find like an adult and a nymph black-legged tick um, in a county in a single year or find six individuals. So you could find six adults of a black-legged tick in a county and they would consider that established or, or reproducing locally. So that's what we, we used all of our data um, that we found for the 13 different tick species that we found in the state. And we did it at the borough level, which is our, our county equivalent up here. And we looked to see, are there any species that sort of meet that threshold for establishment? And right now we have found, um, there are none that meet the specific criteria for establishment. There are a couple where we're seeing evidence. Um, either we're kind of getting a, a larger number of ticks in a year, or we're starting to see more than one, um, more than one life stage. Um, and so that's helping us decide where we want to do monitoring. So we're starting to get to that threshold where we're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe we're starting to see them, you know, at least evidence of reproducing. So once they get here they have to actually, you know, create tick babies for them to continue on. And so either, um, you know, getting one adult doesn't really show us that. But if you had, for example, um, you know, say a dog child to the lower, lower 48 and they picked up either a male and a female um, that then, that then um, reproduced and laid eggs, that would be one possibility. Or if a, a gravid female, for example, um, fell off, that would be another possibility. Or two immatures that eventually became male and female and um, reproduced, that would be one possibility. So they have to get imported, they have to reproduce, and then that third step is that they have to survive the winter. And so you don't even get to the climate change question until you have a lot of other conditions that are met, if that makes sense. Um, so I think if we get to that third step where they're imported, they're laying eggs and reproducing. Do I think that there are places in Alaska where ticks could overwinter? The ticks that we're seeing that are coming from the lower 48? Definitely. Like, you know, we've, been, we've done some modeling where we um, take our climate models from the lower 48 and then apply them to Alaska to see like, all right, well, we know in the lower 48 ticks can overwinter in this area. Are there places in Alaska that look like that? And definitely in South Central Alaska and Southeast, there are places that don't get very cold in the wintertime, and I think there would be no issue um, in terms of overwintering for these ticks. But again, there's sort of a lot of stages that they have to get to before they even have the, the necessity to overwinter. 
Does that make sense? <laughs> it's a very long-winded way to say that. I guess I, I have a follow-up question with that. Um, so since you are seeing through modeling that ticks can overwinter in parts of Alaska, what do you think are the short and long-term consequences of that um, with mm. disease bearing and in the general everyday dog and cat as well as wildlife? So, so far I've only talked about ticks getting imported, reproducing and overwintering in Alaska. In order to get to the tick-borne diseases, which is what we're really worried about, pathogens also have to get imported. So just because a tick comes in doesn't mean that it's, that it's infected. Um, and right now we, we don't actually know um, if there are any tick-borne pathogens circulating in our wildlife population. We did a small study this summer in Anchorage where we took um, ear punches and a little bit of blood from mammals that we trapped. And we're gonna test them to see if they are carrying any tick-borne pathogens. But either ticks that come in would need to bring the pathogens with them or they would need to pick them up from wildlife. So that's sort of an unknown, an unknown question, um, which is a really big one in terms of thinking about potential implications for um, tick-borne diseases in, in wildlife and, um, and domestic animals. Uh, I will say, because you can hear my dog in the background, <laughs> I will say that um, another tick that's of, of great interest to Alaskans, and particularly fishing game, um, is Dermacenter albopictus, which is the, it's either a moose tick or a, or a winter tick. And this tick is particularly interesting to the wildlife folks because, um, not because it transmits a tick-borne pathogen, but because it causes a lot of problems for moose as a parasite. And so the, the tick, um, rather than falling off at each life stage and, and feeding on a new host, it completes its whole life cycle on a moose. Um, and because of that, the, the population on a single animal can get really big. So like in the tens of thousands of ticks on a, on a single moose. And they've seen a lot of problems with it um, in Minnesota, New England. Um, and now it's <clears throat> moved its way over into uh, Western Canada and has been found in Yukon Northwest Territories. And so there's concern that this tick might hitch a ride on wildlife that are crossing the Canadian Alaskan border. And if it were introduced into our moose population would, would not be great. It would be a really um, devastating thing for our, our moose population. Our next interviewee is Renata Schlott, a researcher under Dr. Hahn and fellow colleague in our veterinary medicine program. Hello, my name is Renata. I'm a second year veterinary student in the UAS CSU 2 plus 2 veterinary program. I'm in my second year up here at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and I'm working with Dr. Micah Hahn and one of the Masters of Public Health students at the University of Alaska Anchorage to look at the prevalence of ticks and tick-borne disease in Alaska. So we are being funded by the Pacific Southwest Center of Excellence in Vector-Borne Diseases. This is an organization funded by the CDC, and they offer a training grant to graduate students to look into vector-borne disease in areas of need. So because we don't know a whole lot about the prevalence of ticks or tick-borne disease in companion animals in Alaska, we are going through veterinary clinics and having them recruit dogs and cats coming in for preventative care visits to participate in a tick and sero survey 
the idea behind this is that we should get a representative population or a representative sample of the population of companion animals in the state um, with different levels of activity outside um, and potential travel history as well. So what we're asking is for vets to perform a quick tick check and send in any ticks they find into the submit a tick program, as well as perform an IDEX 40X snap test on the animal's blood. This zero survey will detect Lyme disease, heartworm, anaplasmosis, and ehrlichia. Um, and it, the idea is that we will test as many animals as possible because we don't expect to find a high level of disease in the population. So we will hopefully be able to detect any low level of tick-borne disease and find out exactly how many companion animals might be harboring ticks or tick-borne disease in the state of Alaska. Our last interview is with Alaska State Veterinarian, Dr. Bob Gerlach. Dr. Gerlach leads the Submit a Tick program for Alaska. Would you like just to talk to us about um, your position as the Alaska State Veterinarian? Sure. This office is almost different than, it is different than any other uh, state veterinary office. And the fact that our, uh, we're involved just not with the uh, regulatory aspects of animal disease uh, for import export and regulation of uh, animal surveil disease surveillance and response. <clears throat> but uh, part of my job is to run the fish monitoring program. So we, uh, analyze fish from that are caught from around the state and uh, both fresher and saltwater fish and uh, and shellfish uh, plants as well uh, and analyze them for environmental contaminants and then work with public health and EPA and, and work on fish uh, consumption advice. Uh, <clears throat> and then the other part of our job is uh, regulating the dairy uh, uh, program up here and uh, also involved really involved with food safety and, and the fact that we run the uh, uh, produce, food, produce food safety uh, program for the FDA. So uh, basically we're involved with the uh, safe production and, and foodborne illnesses associated with uh, uh, vegetable products. So it's, a, it's a definitely a wide, uh, a wide variety of topics that uh, we work on. Unfortunately, uh, Dr. Coburn, the assistant state veterinarian is a is just a, a great uh, uh, asset to go ahead and, and manage a lot of the things that are going on in our office. That is great. Wow, and that's very encompassing. Um, so we actually got to talk to Micah a little early, last week actually, and she told us a little bit about the Submit a Tick program, and she just kind of talked about and actually introduced you um, and we just wanted to know how you are running that and how it works. Well, there was a big concern. Uh, we started probably back in 2011, uh, working with uh, Dr. Beckman at the uh, Fish and Game because of the concern, two concerns. One was uh, Fish and Game's concern that the uh, winter moose tick uh, was moving its way across Canada, northwest to Alaska. And uh, that tick has had a devastating impact on moose in Canada, as well as limiting and uh, impacting moose populations in Michigan and uh, uh, Minnesota and Maine, uh, to the point where uh, Maine and, and Michigan, I think, have eliminated any type of uh, hunting season for moose because the uh, moose population have been so badly impacted. 
Um, <clears throat> and we're concerned about that tick moving uh, northward uh, because we know across the globe, uh, ticks are moving north and uh, spreading both the uh, tick-borne diseases that can impact both people and animals. And as they're migrating with uh, wildlife, they're also migrating with people, pets, domestic uh, livestock, and even in cargo. Uh, and because of this global economy we have that we uh, get concerned about even uh, invasive ticks from uh, overseas that could go ahead and get a hold in, in the state. <clears throat> and then the impact on our uh, both domestic and, and wildlife species up here. Oh, wow. So when you have someone submit a tick, do you have them kind of like check and tell you how they found it? Like if it was on an animal versus wildlife versus um, if they found it on themselves and where they found it? That, that's exactly right. Because we want to try to get as much information about this tick that's being submitted. Uh, so we we started to go ahead and promote uh, uh, a promotion with wildlife biologists and veterinarians and then <clears throat> made a, a pitch out to the uh, general public that if they found a tick that they could go ahead and submit it. And when they do submit it, they give us some background information on what area or location that they were uh, found the tick, uh, whether they found it on their dog or uh, on the person or just in the environment. Uh, and how, if they were involved in any travel or say if they found it on their dog, if, they're, if they had just made a trip from the lower 48 to another part of the uh, country or state. Uh, and uh, so that we knew the possibility of where this tick may have been located uh, and how it came up to Alaska. Okay, so if you find a tick on yourself or your pets, uh, a family member in the environment, you can submit it to the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation, the Office of the State Vet, and we will get it submitted for you. And if you find a tick, what, the best thing to do is to Google Alaska Submitted Tick. It's the first website that comes up. You can go to the state veterinarian website and there's a form that you download. And this is a really important form because it collects information about where you found the tick. And we also were really curious um, if you or someone in your household traveled outside of Alaska in the previous two weeks. Because we want to know, are these ticks that are coming in from outside or are these ticks that we're finding in Alaska? And so if you go to that website, you can download the form, you put your tick in some kind of a hard-sided container, so like a, a vitamin bottle or an old medicine bottle, and then mail everything to the state vet in Anchorage, or you can drop it off if you live in town, um, and we will get it ID'd and then let you know what the results are. Thanks for joining us on VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University. To find more resources about this topic and details about each episode, check out the show notes. Thanks and see you next time on VetCast.